I want to start with a question for you to consider this morning as we begin our time together. And the question is this, do you believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the solution to every human problem? Right? Belief produces action in our lives. And so the question is worth considering, do we really believe that Jesus Christ is the answer to every question at the heart of humanity and the answer to every problem, the solution to every problem in the world? I can answer that question definitely in the affirmative. I believe that with all my heart. Otherwise, why would I even be a pastor, right? Why would I give my life to presenting Christ as the solution to every human problem if I did not wholeheartedly believe that? The gospel of Jesus is the solution to every human problem. I think global wars, unjust governments, depression, anxiety, broken marriages, drug addiction, income inequality, loneliness, cancer, selfishness, anger, you name it. Insert any human problem in this list, and I think that the appropriate solution is Christ Jesus. Now, I'm not suggesting that the solution of Christ is easy or simple in the way it has to be thought through or potentially applied. We may have to think deeply and carefully about how Jesus is the solution to every human problem, but in the end, Jesus is ultimately the answer to every question of significance which humanity asks and every problem which humanity encounters. Because at the core of every human problem is really this thing called sin. And the essence of the gospel is Christ forgives you of your sin. In fact, Jesus is the only solution to sin to the sin problem. And so truly, whatever your problems are, the answer is Christ. But the reason I begin with this is because a serious breakdown occurs when Christians who wholeheartedly believe that Jesus is the answer to every question or the solution to every problem present Jesus as the answer to a question nobody is asking or a problem that nobody has. Right? Jesus is the answer, but often we haven't rightly understood the question or rightly diagnosed the problem in order to show the way in which he is the answer. We've not listened carefully that we might respond appropriately to what the world or maybe any individual is saying. So what I'm getting at is before you can give an answer, you have to really understand the question, don't you? As we continue our series called Bless this morning, I want to remind you we're talking about evangelism. That's what we're talking about, sharing the gospel. That we are blessed as Christians to be a blessing to the world by offering Christ Jesus to them. That they might have hope, salvation, redemption. I've been making the claim over the last couple of weeks that one of the primary reasons why the church exists is for the mission of telling people about Jesus. It's one of the primary reasons we are here. 
We exist, as our church mission statement says, to help people meet Jesus so that they might also then join us in following Jesus. This is the great mission of the church throughout history. And we've been using this acronym BLESS to develop what I would call a strategy for really accomplishing this mission, to be faithful to the work that God's given us. Jesus left us with this command, go and make disciples. So then let's have a plan for how we as a church are going to do that. Let's not just assume that it will happen or expect that it might happen by accident or without intention. Let's plan in how we're going to go about accomplishing this mission or doing the work of the mission. So last week, yes, we talked about the B in this idea, bless, which stands for begin with prayer. As part of our strategy to do the work that Jesus has given us, we need to begin with prayer and understand that we don't save anybody. It is the Spirit of God interceding for somebody, changing their heart that truly leads them to believe. And we begin with prayer, asking our God to do that work in people's lives. And I challenged you last week to pray for people and even potentially take the sheet that was in your bulletin home and fill in a name and pray the prayer that Jesus himself prayed. If you didn't do that or you forgot or whatever, those sheets are still on the little table on your way out. I encourage you to grab one. Fill in the name of your neighbor, coworker, family member, friend, and be faithful to pray for them. Let's continue to begin in prayer as we do this work. Today we're going to talk about the L of our little strategy, which stands for listen with care. Listen with care. The idea here is that part of the work of sharing Jesus Christ with people is first listening with care, love for this person, that we might actually understand people and their needs, what their needs really are. James says we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak, and I think he's presenting that as a uh, tool against anger in our lives. But it applies here too, right? Quick to listen and slow to speak so that we can show how Jesus is the real solution to the real problems that people have. Uh, This week, my kitchen sink got a leak, and I had every intention of fixing it myself, but in the end, I called a plumber, and I was glad I did because he ended up even having to go do some extra things in order to fix the problem I thought I had because it was bigger than I thought it was, but the reason I had to call the plumber initially was because in spite of all the tools I had in my garage, I just didn't have the right tools for this problem. But I could have gone out to my garage and sifted through my tools and tried to use a screwdriver when I ended up needing a sawzall. I could have gone out to my garage and picked up the hammer when I really needed a wrench. But you can imagine how that would have gone, right? Neither the screwdriver nor my hammer were going to be the appropriate tool to accomplish the task before me. The right or, or the tools that I had, they were good tools in and of themselves. They just didn't apply in this particular situation. And so it can be with our presentation of the gospel, I think, where we try to press Jesus into people's lives without first listening to understand what's the real problem in this situation. 
I know Jesus meets that problem, that need. He is the answer to that question. But let me make sure I understand what the actual question is. We need to diagnose the soul of those we're talking to through listening before we can begin to apply the medicine of Jesus Christ to their soul. Before we get to our actual text, let me just give you two quick examples of this, okay? Paul, in Acts 17, he's in this place called the Oropagus. It's where uh, all the smart people of his day in this city would gather together to just talk about different ideas and share them. It's where the philosophers came together. And Paul's invited to actually speak there and to give his perspective on, on these philosophical ideas. And he does something really fascinating. Instead of standing up in the Oropagus and saying, let me tell you about Jewish history and the Messiah of the Jews named Jesus and go into Old text, uh, Testament texts, what Paul actually does is he looks around and he points to all the Greek pagan idols and he says to these people, I can tell that you're very religious. And then he does something even more extraordinary. He quotes their own poet philosophers to make a case for Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Why does Paul do this? Why not just pull out quotes from the Old Testament? I know that he knew it well. Well, I think the reason is because Paul listened with care. He's been attentive to these people. He's begun to understand the way that they see the world and the problems they might have. He recognizes their questions and understands the ways in which they're unique. He's paid attention, and it informs then how he begins to point them to Jesus. Do you see what I'm getting at? He listens in order to understand how Christ best fits their particular problems, how Jesus is the answer to the questions that they're actually asking. And Jesus himself does this too. In the Gospel of John, if you read the whole Gospel, and maybe you've noticed this, we see throughout the Gospel, Jesus makes these seven really powerful I am statements. He says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the vine. And if you look at the different scenes where Jesus presents each of these statements, they each come in a unique set of circumstances where Jesus makes a claim about himself that specifically relates to what's going on in the scene around him. So when this hungry mob comes chasing Jesus down after he feeds them, the 5,000, and they're hungry, they're asking him for more food, Jesus listens and he responds to them not by saying, you know what, guys, I'm the door. Right? He is that. But in this particular situation, he responds by saying, I'm the bread of life. Guys, what you're really hungry for is something eternal. And I am the bread of life. And then when Martha comes to him a little bit later, she's heartbroken because her brother just died. And she's grieving the loss of her loved one. Jesus doesn't say to her, I'm the good shepherd. He is that, but he actually makes a different claim. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Reassuring her, death is no obstacle to God's power. 
right? He takes what is true about him and he finds a way through listening to apply it to her situation. And so the point is this, Jesus is in fact the answer to every human problem. And if we listen with care, then we will be well equipped to present Jesus as the solution to the problems which people actually have when we encounter them. Maybe if we struggle to share Jesus with people, it's because we've failed to actually listen with care. So open your Bible with me to Acts 8, and let's see if we can consider an example from Scripture and grow from it. Acts chapter 8. Yeah, if you don't have a Bible, um, we would love to give you one of ours. I think there's a couple still back on that table. Even if you just raise your hand, Phil will bring one to you, and you can take that home and keep it, please. We would love for you to have it. We're in Acts chapter 8. But before I read this, let me pray for us. God, would you make us wise through your word? One of the human problems that we have is that we lack wisdom. We are spiritually ignorant. We cannot know a God who is holy and separated from us in our sin. And so we thank you for your word because we would never stumble our way into your wisdom or into revelation about you. We need you to make it clear to us. So we thank you for your word and we thank you for your Holy Spirit which you put inside of us that leads us in understanding to grasp what it is that we're reading. And so we pray that you would send your spirit to minister to us, that we would listen with care to your word and listen with care to your spirit, that we might be good ambassadors for Jesus Christ, listening well to others, that ultimately we might speak the words of life to them, that they might be saved, And God, we thank you that you have done that work in us. We just fall on our faces in rejoicing over the grace that you have given us. We worship you for that. And so, Father, bless our time together this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. 
So I want to bring your attention to four things that Philip does in this passage of Scripture so that I might encourage you to listen with care as you seek to bless others with the good news of Christ. I think Philip gives us a good example of listening with care, and so let's consider his example and follow it. The first thing Philip does is he listens to God, right? This is a wise man. In Philip's case, literally, first an angel speaks to him, and then the Holy Spirit speaks to him, is what our text says. And Philip is a good example because he listens with care to what the Lord says to him. Now, I want to say, I think that this first point potentially leads us into dangerous waters. And the reason is because the book of Acts is a powerfully unique description of how God moved in the months following the resurrection of Jesus. And that can create a difficulty in understanding, like, how much of this narrative, this story, should we pull into our own life and, and apply? And how much of it is really unique to what was going on then? Acts is not exactly telling us, here's how the church should always operate at all times. It's telling us, rather, what did happen in one particular point in the history of the church. So it's a record of events. It's not an instruction booklet, okay? For example, shortly after this passage in Acts, we find Peter uh, taking a dead lady named Dorcas and raising her to life, okay? I've not had that experience anywhere in any church in my 30 years of walking with Jesus, I've never seen that done. So these are some unique moments, okay? Unique moments of the power of God at work through his spirit. But coming back to Philip, the problem we encounter then is this. Should I listen for the voice of the Lord and wait for him to speak before I speak, before I go and talk to somebody about Jesus? Um, I've seen people do this. Maybe you've seen it or maybe you've done it. I was hanging out with a a friend of mine in college at a coffee shop, and we're sitting at a table together, and all of a sudden he goes, I really think God's telling me I need to go talk to that person about Jesus. I was sitting at the same table. I didn't hear God say anything, so I just sat there as he got up and went and talked to this person that he felt like he needed to talk to. And, and we can debate like how much of that is, is God or how much of that is internally my own heart, but look, Debating that kind of misses the point, and here's why. Scripture teaches, I think, God can do what he wants as long as it's not contrary to his nature, his character. He's God, after all. So he could speak to somebody with an audible voice, or he could put an impression into somebody's mind, or he could lay out thoughts in our head. He could whisper to our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He can do those things if he wants. None of them are contrary to his nature or his character. It's interesting to me that in our particular text in verse 29, we don't get a clear indication of the way in which the Spirit speaks to Philip. We don't know clearly whether this is something that he hears internally or something he literally audibly hears. But the debate, again, really misses the point. The point is this. God speaks, and Philip listens carefully and obeys. 
That's the point. And this is a good principle for us to live by. God speaks, we listen carefully, and we obey. And whether God speaks through, you know, this debate, whether God speaks through whispers into our heart or impressions in our mind or, or even audibly to people at certain points is really irrelevant to this discussion. And here's why. Because God has spoken to us through his word. And he has told us in Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Do you see what I'm getting at? God may speak through these other things, whispers or impressions, but he frankly never needs to do that because he has given us his word, calling us to obey what is written. And so there's some funny thing that, a funny thing that takes place here where people are like waiting to hear from God when you can hear from him right here all the time. And when we zoom out from this particular story in Acts 8, And then we think back to our first week in this series, suddenly we remember this idea. God has spoken to us. Matthew 28, go and make disciples because Jesus is risen and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And so here's what you need to know. Regardless of whether you hear the voice of God in your head or in your heart, audibly, God has actually spoken this command to you, telling us to go. And if we're going to listen with care, the first thing we need to listen to carefully is the voice of God. Stop waiting to hear from him. Jesus has already said, go, go, and trust that he has all power and authority to put people in your way, that he might save the lost through our going. Let us listen to God and do what he has commanded and trust that he will give us opportunities when we respond in obedience. Listening with care means first listening to God and God says go. Not only that, but in 1 Timothy 2.1, God also commands that prayers and intercession be made for all people, which takes us back to last week to begin with prayer. Okay, the second thing our text shows us is that Philip listened with care to what this man was saying. Before I really unpack that, I want to point out that this Ethiopian man was himself listening with care. Do you see that in the text? This man was already listening with care to what God was already doing in his life. And here's another thing you really need to understand. If you're going to be faithful to go and make disciples and obey God's command to do that, please don't think that very much actually depends on you. Very little actually depends on you, other than the faithfulness to go like Christ commanded. Here's, here's, here's what I'm getting at. It is not as if God's ministry to this Ethiopian man began when Philip showed up on the scene. Do you see what I'm getting at? God had been drawing this man to himself, preparing his heart for this moment. God had been ministering to this Ethiopian man. He already had his text of Isaiah that he was reading from. Long before Philip arrives on the scene, God was already there. And so do you trust that long before you arrive on the scene to share the gospel with someone, 
You're dealing with a person that God actually loves deeply, a person who God is already ministering to. Especially if you've been faithful to begin with prayer, you should never be surprised when you show up on the scene to find out, wow, God's already been here. God is already here. He has beat me to the punch. And long before you showed up to minister with the gospel, God was already there preparing the way for you to speak the words of life to this person. I've got a quote for you to check out. It's actually uh, by a guy named Jerry Root in his book, The Sacrament of Evangelism. I don't know if you can do that. Can you quote your dad in his book? I guess. Okay. But he writes this. When we share the good news, we do not take Christ to anyone. He is already there. Evangelism doesn't do anything to God. It does something to us. It opens our eyes to his work and grace. It's not a question of whether God is at work in his world. It's a question of whether those who claim to follow him will participate in his work of evangelism. And as we listen with care in the process of sharing Jesus, we are certainly going to find that Christ Jesus has already been sharing himself with people that we interact with. There are people all around us. They are listening to God as he woos them to himself. That's why Jesus can say the harvest is plentiful. It's the workers that are few that's the real problem. Okay, back to Philip and my second point. Our text shows us that Philip listened with care to what the Ethiopian man was saying. You know, Philip shows up on the scene. He doesn't assume to know why God has taken him there or what he's supposed to say. I mean, God has told him to go and speak with this man, but he's formulating still how he's going to go about doing that. Verse 30 tells us he walks up to the Ethiopian man and he hears him reading Isaiah. Philip doesn't launch into some lecture. He doesn't speak before he knows what's going on. Instead, he first listens to hear and understand where God is already at work in this man's life. As Paul Borthwick says in his book, Stop Witnessing and Start Loving, we need first to understand before we worry about being understood. We need first to understand before we worry about being understood. This is really not a difficult concept to grasp. It simply means we need to actually listen to people so we can understand where they're at spiritually and where God is already ministering to them so that we can join in the work that God is doing already. The fact of the matter is God is leading people to himself. and We are simply invited to join that journey as he does that work. And we join the journey by listening before speaking so we can discern where God is at work in their heart. Maybe a good illustration of this is the person who's always finishing your sentences for you. You know anybody like that? I have a friend who doesn't go to our church. You don't need to worry that I might be talking about you. And sometimes I find it hard to to talk with this friend, to have a meaningful conversation 
Because before I finish, I can be sort of slow to formulate my thoughts sometimes. And before I have an opportunity to get the full thought from my brain out of my mouth, he thinks he knows what I'm going to say, and he inserts the end of my sentence for me into the conversation. And you know what I found? 98% of the time, he is wrong. He has misunderstood where I'm going with my sentence. And that makes it so hard to have an actual meaningful conversation, doesn't it? It shuts down conversation because he's not listening to what I'm saying. He's formulating his response to what he thinks I'm going to say. And so let's learn from the wisdom and example of Philip here, who before approaching this man to speak about Jesus, which is the goal, he first listens with care to understand where the man is at. The third thing our text shows us is that Philip asks a question and he listens to the answer. Again, Philip doesn't presume to know how this Ethiopian eunuch can be led straight to Jesus and and try to like plug Jesus into this hole and push it and make him fit, right? Philip doesn't know what this man's particular questions or problems are yet. He begins to discover how by asking a question. And I think he's got a sincere curiosity about this man. Do you have a sincere curiosity about people in your life? He's curious about what he knows, what he's doing, what he comprehends. And it's his question of curiosity that opens up the door to actually share the gospel. And the man responds with an answer that creates an opportunity for further dialogue. So listen, unless a person is being really stubborn and they're just responding to all of your questions with simple yes or no answers, every answer somebody gives you to a question is an opportunity to probe a little bit deeper. They're actually giving you an invitation by disclosing information. Let me role play what this might look like for you. And I always hated role playing, so forgive me, but let me try this, okay? And I realize this is kind of a silly example, but you, you can take it and work it and figure out how it might apply. Say you're having a conversation with a neighbor. You don't know them very well, right? I mean, this happens. The garage door opens, you walk out, and oh, there's my neighbor, surprise, right? And so you do something banal, very simple, like, how are you? Right? I mean, that's like a typical question when you bump into somebody. How are you? And let's imagine your neighbor says, you know, I'm good. I'm really excited. Christmas is coming up. You know, maybe he's dragging his Christmas decorations out of the garage. That may seem like a very trite and shallow thing to say. I'm good. Christmas is coming. But by mentioning even Christmas, they've invited you to probe a little further. So you might say, really? I love Christmas too. What do you love about Christmas? And maybe they reply with something like, oh, I just love opening presents. I love new stuff. You know, that excitement, that feeling. I'm really hoping to get this 75-inch TV, and I know that it's going to make me just, like, love life. Again, seemingly a pretty shallow thing to say, right? But you, I mean, I could imagine my neighbor saying something like that. And you might be tempted then to launch into, like, a defense of the real meaning of Christmas, Christmas isn't about a 75-inch TV. It's not about stuff you get, et cetera, et cetera, right? I'm going to try to just smash Jesus into this person's life. No, instead, dig a little deeper. Discover a little bit more. Ask some more questions. 
In the process, you can pray for discernment. Jesus, I'm talking with this person. Will you just lead me in this conversation and help me know what's really going on? So instead of giving the like, well, let me tell you what Christmas is really about lecture, you might reply, you know what, again, I love Christmas too. What about getting new stuff is so exciting to you? Explain that experience to me. And I'm sure at this point your neighbor's going to be like, this is weird, nobody's ever asked me a question like this. But they're going to try, they're going to try and put some words to it. Oh, you know, I just love that feeling of shiny new things, you know? You know that feeling? And I know that feeling, right? I do. When I get something new for like, you know, at least a couple hours, I feel this like weird feeling of excitement. But I also know that it doesn't last very long, right? And I also know that it points to a much deeper longing inside of me. That even though I keep, fi- I keep searching for something to bring me lasting meaning to my life, nothing I've ever bought or been given has done that for me, right? And so you say, yeah, yeah, I know that feeling. Isn't it a wonderful feeling? But you know what? Have you ever noticed how quickly that feeling fades? By the end of January, I, I can't even remember the excitement that stuff gave me. Isn't that weird? And your neighbor might reply with something like, yeah, you know what, now that you mention it, that is kind of interesting. I've not thought much about that. And a further curiosity might lead you to say, what do you think that means? What does that tell you about life? Why do you think we feel that excitement fade so quickly? And I'm going to guess at this point your neighbor's going to be like, I don't know. I've never thought about that before which gives you the opportunity to say, can I, can I share with you what I think that points to? I think it points to this human longing for something more. And I think Jesus really satisfies that longing. I, I've found that when a conversation like that rolls and at the end of it you say, hey, can I, can I share with you what I think about that? Most people don't go, nah, I'm not interested. Got to get these lights up. You know, it may just be neighborly politeness, but they're probably going to be like, sure, I got a minute or two. Which means you have a chance to show them how Jesus is the answer to the question. How Jesus is the solution to the problem. Their longing for Christmas and shiny new things is really a longing for Jesus, which God himself placed there to draw people to himself, and which nothing on this earth will ever satisfy. God did that that they might look to him and repent of sin and believe and be saved. Now, before you think I'm like way off from our text, isn't this kind of the process that Philip works here? He hears the man reading. He listens to discover where the man is at. He basically asks the question, what do you think this means, this text you're reading? Do you understand what's going on? And when we listen with care and we ask these kinds of follow-up questions, we can move in our relationship with people to these deeper questions of more significance. Do you understand what this means? Do you understand what's going on in your life or your heart? In our text, it's through the process of listening and asking that we get to verse 35. And notice how this comes at the end, of course, where Philip finally opens his mouth to tell the Ethiopian man about the good news of Jesus. 
That is the end goal. That is what we are pressing towards. That is what we want to have an opportunity to do. And this leads me to my final point. It's only after listening with care that Philip opens his mouth to tell people about Jesus. He's taken advantage of the opportunity of discovery to discern where God is at work. This Ethiopian man is curious about Scripture. He's got some unanswered questions. He has this vague understanding about God that he needs to be clarified. And God's been at work to bring Philip to this man so Philip can show him that Jesus is the answer to these questions. Jesus is the solution to the problems in his life. And so we see that the listening with care, it has a purpose. We're looking for an opportunity to present the hope of Jesus. It's not only about listening. We're not therapists, like, and I have no interest in that. I, I don't want to have somebody lay on the couch and just like spill their guts to me. No, we listen with care in order that we might respond with the hope of the gospel, that we might show how the gospel fits life, how Jesus is good news for any particular problem or need or question. And so when it comes to listening, let me just summarize, refresh you. First, we listen to God. That's where it absolutely starts. Then we listen to what people are saying. We listen with care, a sincere love for them. Then we ask questions to go a little bit deeper, probe a little bit further. And then we open our mouths to share how those deeper things ultimately point to Christ. So let me conclude with this. I think a lot of Christians are afraid to share the gospel. I mean, I think if I, like, put you through the shame of saying, raise your hand if you're afraid to share the gospel— at least two of you would be honest enough to raise your hands, right? And I think one of the reasons is I, I, I just don't feel like I know the Bible well enough. I might say the wrong thing. I might not have an answer to a really hard question. I might look stupid. I might not be able to explain it very well. I think these are some of the things that make us afraid to share the gospel. And those are areas where you need to grow, if you think that that's true, then I encourage you, know your Bible better and find some answers to tough questions and be willing to be humble and say, I don't know. But here's what I really want you to, to get. Truly, any Christian can do the two things that we've discussed thus far in this series. Begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. What Christian can excuse not praying for those who are lost. None. Praying that God would send us, praying that God would use us, praying that God would change hearts, pleading for the people that we know and love. And I think any Christian can do this step as well. Listen with care. Truly, we can give an attentive ear. We can ask meaningful questions. We can listen to people's struggles and have a sincere, loving curiosity about them. And if we're faithful to do even just these two things, don't we believe that God will surely equip us to open our mouths when that moment comes to share how Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the solution?
The fact of the matter is God is already at work in the world. He's laboring to save people and bring them home to him. He's doing that work. The question is, are we willing to listen with care, to see where God might be working, to hear how Jesus might meet a need? And think about this. Fortunately for us, God himself is faithful to listen with care. Don't you expect that when you go to him, that he will actually hear you? That he will respond to your needs and your problems and your questions with an extra measure of gospel grace? And since God shows this kindness to us, let us pass this kindness on to others, listening with care and responding with more gospel grace. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this story of the Ethiopian man who was blessed because Philip was faithful and he listened to you. We thank you for the story of this Ethiopian man who was blessed because Philip was careful to listen. We thank you for this Ethiopian man who was blessed because Philip asked questions to understand what was really going on. And we thank you most of all for this story because it shows your power to save people. That when Philip was faithful to open his mouth and share the good news of Jesus, it led to a changed heart in this man's life. And so, Lord, make us faithful. Faithful to begin with prayer, to be on our knees interceding on behalf of lost people. And faithful, too, to listen with care that we might find an opportunity to show how great Jesus is in the way that he solves our problems and answers our questions and takes us from death to life. Lord, would you help our church be faithful in these things? Would you encourage us in these things? And we pray this in Christ's name for his great glory in the salvation of the nations. Amen.